Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org ay. That's puredesire.org ay. You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hey, 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 I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you are listening to episode 128 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here with me, as always, is my co-host, one of my favorite people, Nicholas J. Stumbo. I made my family disappear. I made my family disappear. I got, I got nothing. Also, you, you just breezed. You I told it? you you're one of my favorite people, and you didn't even say anything. You I have an intro, right man. I rehearse these things. I prepare for it. Unbelievable. And the listeners don't have context for why you did that, because it doesn't come up till yet. later in this right. episode. Yet. Yet. They will. Um, I don't know what that's from. That is from the classic Christmas movie, Home Alone. Young Kevin wakes up to find that his family is gone. Ha, he thinks there it is. he thinks it's because he's yes. wished them away. And I thought of that one because we're talking about shame today. And I know a lot of people wish they could just wish shame away. Like, totally. I, just, I made it go away. Yes. And it's not that easy. So that's why we need today's podcast. Totally. couple quick things before we get into description. If you are not subscribed to the podcast, do it. Don't wait. You can find us on all the major platforms. Give us a review. It helps more people see the podcast. It means a lot to us. Uh, also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pure Desire PDMI. We're also on LinkedIn, but don't judge us because we don't have a lot of content out there yet. And also, you can watch full episodes of these interviews of these podcasts on YouTube. Uh, just search Pure Desire Ministries. Last thing real quick, Nick, we're rounding out the year. It's coming It's coming in hot 2020, and we continue to see how the generosity of other men and women really who've experienced freedom creates more opportunity for other people to find that freedom too. And so for that reason, we started a giving campaign that we're calling Free People, Free People. Yeah, playing off the idea that it's hurt people that hurt people. And when we don't deal with our stuff, there's a way that we perpetuate or pass along hurt and shame. And so as God redeems our lives, how can we pay it forward? How do we pass on freedom? How do we pass on hope to others? And the reality of, of this battle that we're in together, of changing culture, of making a difference for uh, integrity and purity in our world, at Pure Desire, we don't have a lack of ideas. <laughs> We've got them everywhere. We don't have a lack of opportunities, yes. but, but there is a reality. There's a lack of resources, of, of people and finances to do the things that we feel God's leading us to do. And so we um, are not shamed or uh, held back to invite people to be a part of that mission with us. Yep. And their generosity of yep. a, a monthly gift or a one-time year-end gift could really make a difference in helping others encounter freedom uh, both this year and in the years to come. Yeah. So if you uh, are willing to give financially to help move this message forward, help other people find freedom, go to puredesire.org slash free people. Okay, man. So we had, back to your home alone, back to the idea we're talking about at the beginning, we had one of our buddies on, Ben Bennett. Uh, ben Bennett is a speaker, author, contributor, just all around good dude with Josh McDowell Ministry, who's a part of a new initiative called Uprising. And uh, we broke down a blog that he wrote not too long ago, uh, breaking down five steps to overcoming shame. Yeah, and I think it's crucial for us to talk about this because shame is one of those subtle saboteurs of our lives. It's one of those under the radar things that yeah. if 
if we're not really addressing it and becoming more aware of it, it, it just happens. It, mm -hmm. it functions in the backdrop of our lives. And that's what I love about what Ben brought today is, is really helping bring to the surface uh, these thoughts, feelings, emotions, fears, lies that when we become aware of it, we all know that they're there. We, we can all relate to it. Uh, but hopefully today we give some real practical, thought-provoking ideas of how to address it and to live more free of shame than we ever have. And I, I think uh, Ben really nailed it today, brought a lot of great yep. ideas, and I, I know listeners are going to get a ton out of this. Yeah, so enjoy it. It's a good one. Ben, my friend, thanks for spending time with us, man. Glad you're back. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. So uh, you are a good buddy. We really appreciate uh, you being here. You are in Dallas, Texas is where you're located. Uh, you're one of the speakers and contributors under the Josh McDowell ministry, right? For anybody who maybe doesn't know. Um, and uh, you recently, um, we've talked about this a little bit, and this is the whole reason why we're doing this episode, is uh, one of your recent blogs, you dove into five ways to get rid of shame in our lives. Um, and I think that this is something that honestly, a topic that you cannot talk about more or, or you cannot talk about enough is this idea of how do we get rid of shame? So we're going to talk through those five steps. And so, uh, if you, you know, trip over your words or don't know what you're talking about, you're the one who wrote these. So that shouldn't happen. Okay. Are we good? <laughs> we're good. All right. Uh, that's not shame inducing at all. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Exactly. It's like, what a Boom. setup, man. Yeah. Call it out. All right, man. So let's jump in. The first step that you talk about in this blog, this idea, and we'll make sure that it's linked in the show notes. The first step is to understand what God says about you. So talk us through that. Yeah, totally. So just to set this up, um, I think this is so important to me because for years of my life, I literally thought that I was a worthless sinner. Um, and I was convinced that that's what the Bible taught about me. And of course I had um, hurt from other people. I was wounded, which was affecting my view of myself. Um, but on top of that, I had all this spiritual stuff going on thinking that, well, the Bible actually backs that up all the stuff people were saying about me. And, uh, I, I knew that God loved me, but I thought he loved me despite my low value. Hmm. Um, and you see the difference there. Yeah. I, I, I thought God loved me even though I was, worthless. But in a word, I'd say I would sum it up as I believed shame. Um, and y'all are probably familiar. A lot of listeners are probably familiar about how people talk about guilt versus shame. Mm -hmm. Guilt is I did bad. Shame is I am bad. Um, but I define shame as this belief that something is faulty at the core of my being. This belief that something is faulty at the core uh, of my being. But the Bible has so much to say. God has so much to say about um, what our value actually is and that shame doesn't really belong in our in our life. And as I've been thinking about this the past couple of years, um, I think in the church, we talk a lot about identity in Christ, but we don't talk about intrinsic human value. Hmm. So often we're talking about, well, Identity in Christ. God says I'm this. God says I'm this as a result of becoming a Christian. But we don't talk about what it means to be made in the image of God, whether or not I'm a Christian. The, the human value. So just to give a, a brief synopsis on, uh, on that and the way I think about this. Um, Genesis 1, 27 says we're made in the image of God. An awesome statement. You know, unlike plants, unlike animals, unlike the rest of creation, We've been given this rational mind, this infinite value, uh, dignity. The creation was entrusted to us. Mm -hmm. uh, human beings were the pinnacle of God's creation. You know, um, God created us and said, it is very good in Genesis 1, 31. And he didn't take that statement back, you know, in, in Genesis 3, after the fall of mankind. Yeah. A lot of times we think he did, but, but he didn't because even in Genesis 9, Six, it still refers to people being made in the image of God. And although um, Adam and Eve sinned and uh, sin was passed down to every human being, and um, I think it was David and, yeah, yeah, and David in Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful since birth. We know that the results of the fall will pass down to every human being. That doesn't change uh the fact that we are made in God's image yeah. with this 
with infinite dignity, with, with value. Um, and I'd say too, I mean, one, that's awesome that, that we're made with that kind of value, but mm. we're also, so we have infinite value, but we're also infinitely loved. Um, you know, so often people have quoted John three sixteen, um, and we forget that it says for God, so loved the world that hmm. he did all, all of this, like love was the motivation. God loved people, the good people, the bad people, if there are any good people, but, um, <laughs> everybody Christian or not, God loved them. And then we're also, you know, when, when we become Christians adopted into God's family, first John three, one, see what kind of love the father's given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, hmm. uh, and, and how beautiful it is that, um, how loved we are and the special love the father has for his kids specifically. And then lastly, um, I love how, uh, God expresses his love to us in, Psalm 17, 8, where, where David says this, uh, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. And I started studying that uh, earlier this year. And the Hebrew word for apple literally means little man. Hmm. So it's this whole idea of when you stand close enough to somebody, like our eyes aren't close enough right here over this video. But if you're close enough to somebody, you can literally see yourself mm. as this tiny little person in their pupil. And David is saying, that's the kind of love God has for us, that we are the object, that you are the object of his uh, affection. You're always in his vision. And God's so powerful and infinite that he can do that for each and every one of us. But we are literally the, the pupil in in his eye. And that's how much he cares for us and loves us. Yeah. That's such a great story. I, I remember having one of my sons on my lap when he was about three years old. And you know, when you're super close like that and he looks up at me and says, dad, I can see me in your eyes. And, <laughs> and, and that experience for him of like, I'm looking at you, but I still see yeah. me. And, and that is really a, a beautiful picture of that verse. And yeah. I, I love what you said at the beginning there, Ben, about how we think God loves us in spite of, mm -hmm. you know, our worthlessness or yeah. that we're no good. And I think that's really common. It, it makes me feel like for many of us, we're stuck in the uh, the Jonathan Edwards Puritan preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've got the right person there. But that kind of mindset of like that we're just this worthless scum and it's only by his, you know, infinite mercy that we're even allowed to exist. Yeah. And th there is some truth in the sense that none of us can merit God's mm -hmm. love. We're not worthy of his love. But that's a very, very different statement than taking the next step to say, yeah. I'm unworthy and I'm not valuable. And I, I think of a, a sermon I heard from a you know, more modern classic preacher, Haddon Robinson, and he told this yeah. great story about how some things are loved because they're valuable and other things are valuable because they're loved. Hmm. And I, I think that's kind of the mindset shift between those two sermons. Do yeah. we see ourselves as the sinners in the hands of an angry God that he loves us in spite of our worthlessness? Or do we see that... His love makes us valuable. His love yeah. gives us infinite worth, and he's not loving us in spite of our worthlessness, mm -hmm. that his love creates worth and value in every single one of us. And I think what you're saying too, Ben, and I like this a lot, that idea of um, we are, if we're the apple of his eye, there is also a closeness that is implied there, that God is always around and close enough to where that's what we can see. If we were to look into God's eyes, we'd always see the little man, the little us there, because he's always near. He's never distancing himself from us. And a lot of that too is is the wrapped up into that shame perspective or ideology is that when I do bad, God needs to distance himself from me because I'm, I'm sinful or I'm no longer worthy. When in reality, we weren't worthy in the first place. Like he chose to bridge that gap with Jesus, and then he's now always close and present with us. So I love that imagery, man. That's really, really good. Yeah, it's it's awesome when we start actually when we start actually reading what the Bible says, yes. not just taking other people's opinions and what how they've you know mm -hmm. interpreted certain things. But if you read it at face value, we start seeing what God actually says about us. 
great. Yeah. So I, I think all three of us have heard uh, our friend Dr. Ted Roberts talk about how we need to deal with the trash talking voice of hell that that tends to yes. go on in our thinking. And so it's it's one thing to to believe or to hear God say that we're valuable, but it's another step. Uh, to really internalize that. So your second step, Ben, is all about surrounding yourself with people who will affirm the truth of what God says about you. Uh, unpack for us, why is that so important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if if growing up we are looking to people's opinions or actions, because we, as kids, we don't really know any better. We just, we just look at what people are saying, doing, and we interpret that um, as what our value is, yep. we just can't help it, especially yep. with our parents or our siblings. We read into these messages and a lot of times, well, I'd like to believe our parents do the best they, they can, totally. you know, but as kids, we're still going to get hurt and no parents are perfect. Yeah. And we just take these messages and kind of run with them. Um, we at times experience conditional acceptance, meaning um, we're accepted based on the do, how we perform or the good we yeah. do um, or the kind of grades we get or how well we uh, obey. Um, we often experience rejection or disappointment. And then many of us experience things like uh, uh, abuse and um, a lot more tragic things. Uh, but all of these things um, communicate as kids growing up what our value is. Yeah. And we think, okay, if I am valued and loved, that people are going to not reject me. They're going to support me. They're mm-hmm. going to affirm me. They're going to care about my opinions. Um, but oftentimes we don't, you know, we don't experience all those things because we live in this, this world that's, that's fallen. So just as Dr. Ted Roberts has been saying for, for years, uh, we're wounded in relationships. Yeah. We have to be healed in relationships. So if we add up all those experiences growing mm-hmm. up in the chaos of this world and all the times we're hurt in the messages that are sent, think about um, how important it is now as adults to move towards supportive community and having people who really combat those past experiences and help us mm-hmm. experience who we actually are. Yeah. Um, so how do we know who these people are? I mean, it, it's people um, who uh, build us up rather than mm-hmm. tear us down. Um, it's people who, as Romans twelve fifteen says, celebrate with you and mourn with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's people who point out your strengths. They genuinely care about your life. Uh, they don't just, oh, here's, here's a big one. Uh, they don't just tell you your value. They show you your value. That's good. Yep. And that is, that is a big, uh, difference. And, mm-hmm. For me, early on in, in my healing journey, in um, I was in a seven pillars group and, and Dr. Ted Roberts was counseling me. And so many times I was believing lies. I was stuck in double binds. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Ted and, and the guys in my group helped me believe the truth about myself. Uh, I, I remember vividly one, one experience. Um, I was at a subway, not the restaurant. <laughs> Eat, an actual subway. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, an actual subway. And I was trying to buy, uh, I was trying to use my credit card to buy a, a ticket. And my sister was there with me and I was getting frustrated. And she told me something like, you're putting the, the card in wrong. And I didn't snap at her, but I was growing like yep. vividly irritable. And, you know, in group uh, that week, lowest point on the faster scale. Oh, I was speeding up or ticked off. Oh, what happened? Well, I was at subway, not the restaurant. I was at a subway and um, this happened. And Dr. Ted is like, well, what were you believing about yourself? Mm. Ultimately you're believing that you're inadequate, that you're not good enough. It was a lie that was coming up. I was like, Oh man, you're right. Yeah. Because I was afraid in that moment. Gosh, I'm not smart enough to be able to figure this out. And it all happened in a, in a split second, but Mm. they reminded me, no, you're not an idiot. Like that could happen to anybody. Like it's just, just part of life. This is who you are and how much you're loved. Um, and even now, um, there, there's one of my best friends. I I talk to him every week and then throughout the week, um, we support one another, text one another and all of that. But at the end of each week, we call one another and just process life and do Mm. a deep dive on some stuff. And, 
um, he shows me my value. I, I, I know that I'm not going to be condemned. I'm not going to be judged that I'm yeah. just going to be supportive regardless of how much I, uh, got angry that week or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just going to encourage me and help me know who God says I am. And that has continued to be so healing. Yeah. It's I'm like in year eight of, uh, recovery and living out some of these pure desire principles and still yeah. uh, experiencing the healing and, and um, life change that happens as I'm living into these, these healthy, safe relationships. I, um, I just, as you were talking, Ben, I, I was speaking to a couple people um, last weekend and uh, I just love when the Holy Spirit teaches you some things just in conversation. And, and there are times where even I'm talking and something comes out and it's like, that was totally the spirit. Cause I have no idea. I've never had that thought in my life before, but, um, was speaking and there was, um, there was a high school student there who's on our worship team at church. And she, uh, like, she's going to cut a record. Like she's that good. She's incredible. Um, and I saw her and in the moment, I just felt like I should encourage her and use it as an example. And so I said something to her about how good she is at singing and how she welcomes people to the Lord. And she like, kind of like crumbled, you know, she kind of like shoulders in, went down, like, and, and in the moment, the Lord's like, press into this. I want you to talk about this. And it just, he gave me clarity. And I said to the group, I was like, look, the reason why she's responding this way is because it's not normal that people say nice things to her and affirm her. And to me, I got this picture of what could life be like if we did that more often, if we encouraged each mm-hmm. other each other, and used our words. Because I think that our words are way more powerful than we realize. And so that idea of surrounding yourself with people who can speak truth and life into you, but then also work on becoming that type of person that's speaking reality of God's love for you into existence, into your life, and breathing that fresh man, that just fresh outpouring of God's love on you through your words, uh, because we all need it. And maybe it's going to feel weird and uncomfortable when someone says something nice to you every time they see you, but at the same time, they're speaking truth to you and value to you. And so uh, for me, that's just been thinking, something I've been thinking through practically is how do I speak life into other people more and start to create that culture around me? And I think it, it can be so powerful. Yeah, and, and per your comment, Trevor, so many times when we get compliments from people, we're like, Oh no, no, that's not me. That's totally, totally. God. That's all yes. God. And we forget that, well, God has given you gifts. Yep, yep. You didn't mess up when he created you. You're using them. It's you and God. Yeah, like it's a partnership. It's it's not humble. We think it's humble. Like, yep. no, 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 it's all God. It's all God. No, no, no. Um, it's also like Josh McDowell defines humility as seeing yourself as God sees you, no more, no less. Yeah. And it's fully humble to say, thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to know who gave you, you know, your, your gifts and, and talents. Totally. Yeah. Well, I think that's why this question is so vital because I see so many Christians that have this huge divide between how they see God and everybody else that on the one hand, they believe that God accepts me. He knows all my garbage and he loves me anyway. And, and that's awesome. But we think no one else does. Mm-hmm that if anyone else knew all my stuff and my garbage, they, they wouldn't want me around. They'd reject me. They'd, they wouldn't be friends with me. And so if, if that's how we live, that the only you know, being in our world that really gets us and accepts us for who we are is God, it will actually be really hard for us to see ourselves the way God does because we're still primarily viewing our life through this other side where we feel like, all the people around us don't know the real me, and if they did, they would reject me. And so I, th- I think we've got to get to a place where there's community around us that that echoes the voice of God in our lives. I, I know for me, that's what my first group experience was like, was realizing that there were actually people who could love me the way God did. Not I mean, Obviously not perfectly, obviously not to the same uh, level or extreme, but that they could also know all my stuff and still love me. And that actually made God's love real to me for the first time. So I, I think we we have to not only believe what God says about us, but have others that echo that voice and affirm the truth of it so that we actually begin to live out of that place rather than just think, well, yeah, God loves me that way, but he has to, he's God. <laughs> and when he said, God so loved the world, I guess I'm in the world, so he had to include me. Yep. Uh, and it's just a, a dangerous place if that's where we're at, where we don't also have people breathing that truth into our lives. Yeah. So really that leads into the third step that you talk about. Um, and this one, 
dude, this one's tough. Um, just practically in my life, I've been trying to address this every single day when I wake up and it is still so difficult. And it's this idea of stop listening to certain voices. Um, and so let's kind of talk about this, like which voices, really the idea is which voices are the ones you're listening to. So let's talk about that. What are some voices, Ben, that you think we listen to that we got to stop? Yeah. Oh, should I send you the dirty dozen Please, list yeah. of preachers? <laughs> um, yeah. Later in the podcast, we'll talk about, because voices can come so many, from so many places. Like yeah. we've got our inner voice of shame. We'll get to that. But I think when it comes to this in my life and what has done, uh, how do I say this? Maybe, maybe some of the most damage, it's come from certain preachers and spiritual teachers that um, kind of, yeah, boil things down to you're a worthless sinner that God only tolerates now as a result of, of the cross. Um, so it's honestly a, a lot in, in the church today. And that's not just to, that's not to blame people. I just realized, sure. you know, for me, this is making my shame worse. And um and I need to listen to people that I think are teaching within accordance to the scripture about mm. the, the Imago Dei, the image of God and, and all of that. Um, and so when it, when it comes to this idea, um, it was about a year ago, um, I had the opportunity to sit with Dr. Henry Cloud and we were just talking about this concept of the image of God and, I'm and whatnot. I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm also upset that you um, didn't invite me. I'm really disappointed in you, Ben, but it's okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Thanks <laughs> for the shame, bro. <laughs> uh, but he told me the average uh, sermon outline, three-point outline, classic. Uh, the yeah. average sermon outline is you're bad. God is good. Try harder. Mm. I was like, yes, that is such a accurate yeah. articulation of what we hear many Sunday mornings, but I think a, a better outline would be God is good. You're being restored. Come and be God is good. You're being restored. Come and be. So often we start with Genesis three and the fall. And we, we major on Genesis three, the fall of mankind, sin, the old man, the flesh, but we forget that it begins with Genesis one and two, mm -hmm. the the image of God. Um, we're quick to major on our sinnerhood rather than our sainthood. Mm -hmm. um, and I've just been thinking, let us not do a disservice to the glory of God by downplaying his creation, by da downplaying human value in the image of God seen in people. Mm -hmm. And if we have a low view of the creation, what does that say about our, our view of, of the creator? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying we need to, or we, I'm not saying we don't need to talk about our sin or our brokenness or our rebellion against God. Um, that's important, but the gospel is so much greater than just dealing with our sin. Um, I've been kicking around this idea um, and stay with me because I'll sound heretical for a moment, but the greatest thing Jesus did on the cross was not dealing with our sin. The greatest thing Jesus did on the cross was not dealing with our sin. What was it? It was one, um, all authority, as we see in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth being given to God, be, being given to Jesus, because he sat down at the right hand of God. Second, it was making possible a reconciled relationship with the God who created us, restoring what went wrong in Genesis 3. Sin just got in the way. Hmm. See the, the difference there? But so often we make, if you ask so many people, what's the greatest thing Jesus did on the cross? Deal with your sin. We, we downplay, one, his glory, and we downplay, two, the, the purpose of why he went, yeah. went to the cross. Sin is still big. It's still serious. You know, the um, God is so holy and other, but there's something greater that, that Jesus did on, on the cross. But so many sermons we listen to Bible studies, uh, preachers major on our sin when God is majoring on 
what dealing with our sin accomplished, Mm. a reconciled relationship with him and his goodness. And so as I've been thinking about this the past couple of years and what I'm intaking, you know, into into my spiritual life, uh, a big question is, is who you are listening to furthering your shame or is it hindering it? Uh, Do you constantly walk away going, man, I just feel so bad and here are five more ways that I don't have it all together. So now I just need to try and love Jesus more Mm -hmm. or I need to serve in church more or read the Bible more or do all these things. Or am I walking away going, how good is God and how awesome is it that he loves me and that I am his and that um, I'm in his family and I'm loved and this is my new identity. So now let me go and live in that uh, identity. Um, And of course we have so many, so many more voices, you know, from friends, from relationships, people in our life, um, from TV, from music, from, from shows. um, And those are voices we need to consider. What are they telling us? Mm -hmm. And because all of these play into our formation and our beliefs and where we're, where we're ending up in life. Um, so real quick, personally, it was probably sometime in, in high school, honestly, um, I just made a decision not to listen to, to sexually explicit music. Uh, and I was addicted to porn back then and trying to quit and all of that, but I just didn't like, somehow in high school, I had this awareness that all of this was playing into, um, like systemic sexism and how we view women in all of that. And it was also triggering to my own thoughts, but it was just kind of like grotesque. So I, I made this decision. I'm not going to allow that voice mm. uh, to, to come into to my, my life and whatnot. And then also, you know, in 2018, the fastest, I talk about this a lot, the fastest growing genre on Spotify was emo rap. And it's so catchy, but it's so sad. And, and some of it is just gets really deep into mental health and Mm. is um, some of it's not particularly helpful because it's like, it's like catharsis. It's like venting how you feel and the things you're thinking about doing about like no longer living in this life. And I've had, even though I love the the genre so much, I've, I've had to make a conscious decision um, to cut some of it out or not listen to it that much. And, because all of that plays into my formation and the shame in my life and, and trying to hinder it rather than furthering it. That's good. Um, one of the voices, and this is something God's been revealing pretty recently, um, I've been trying to identify the voice of comparison um, that, uh, and I think there's, it's interesting because I think that comparison um this is how I'd say it. I think shame wears the hat or the clothing of comparison. And also, um, you know, think of the whole like a wolf in sheep's clothing. It also looks a lot like a desire to grow. Like I see something in someone else and I'm like, man, that's great. I want to have that habit. I want to be like that person or use my gift like this. Um, but really what ends up happening is I press into that and then shame seeps in, you know, gets into the club of my soul, if you, if you will, and just like goes at it, like parties hard and and makes me start to feel like I'm not as valuable as this person um, because of, you know, like Ben, you hang out with Josh McDowell. It's not that I don't love Nick, but like Josh McDowell is Josh McDowell. Like, right. And there are times <laughs> where there have been, there've been times where we're talking, we're hanging out, just loving life. And this comparison voice starts to speak in. Well, like you have an author to book. You don't get to, you know, speak on a local or a, a national, international stage, things like that, which in reality, if we're going back to the second one, I need to start calling that out in you and saying, you're doing amazing stuff and how awesome it is that God's moving in and through your ministry rather than listening to the voice of comparison, like, oh, I must be less gifted or uh, I'm, I'm never going to have a platform that I can use for benefit. Like there are things like that that are super, super subtle that seep in. And when they do can just cause destruction and damage in your own heart, in your own gifting and ministry, in your relationships and how you avoid people because you're, you're almost, um, 
it's almost like I'm afraid to hang out with people because I know they're better than me or that's the perspective or posture I take when I'm with them. And so comparison is one that I think um, I would just encourage people to start pointing that out. Where does comparison come in? Um, because comparison by itself is is not necessarily bad, but when it's shame that cloaks itself, cloaks itself like comparison, then that's damaging. Yeah, I, so good. I think what we're talking about is, is the key and how external voices have a way of echoing the internal voice. And so if we have an internal voice of shame that's speaking that language, then we interpret everything through that grid and the external voices, even when they're unintended, because I think that's the challenge is you can walk away from a, a good sermon or a good book that really in and of its own wasn't shame inducing, but because of our internal dialogue, we hear it through a grid of shame. Uh, you know, even just this morning, I happened to see a, a tweet from uh, Mike Trout, who's the American League MVP this year for baseball, and he was just thanking his fans for a great season. And I looked at his account. He has 2.5 million followers. You know, the guy hits a baseball. Now, granted, he's one of the best he's players incredible. we've ever seen. Yeah. But you know, I, I, the, the internal dialogue for me is yeah. all he does is hit a baseball. I'm trying to help change people's lives. I have like 200 followers and the, <laughs> the internal voice is what's wrong with me. Yep. Why can't I be known? Why don't I get hurt? You know, and especially as a three on the Enneagram, it's like shame, shame, shame. I'm not performing mm -hmm. well. I'm not achieving. Right. I'm not successful. Yep. And, and if I don't become aware of that voice and go, wait a minute, what, there's no comparison between a professional baseball player and someone working in a sexual totally. recovery ministry. Like totally. that's just not even fair, but, but that can become lodged in our thinking, silly things like that. If, if we're not aware of the internal voice and yep. that, that's actually a segue into your fourth point, Ben, which I think is mm -hmm. a, a great one to discuss more that we've got to cut the trash talking voice of shame. So mm -hmm. uh, unpack, how do we do that? How do we start to address and then stop that trash talking voice of shame? You just got to stop it. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. Okay, that's next right. question. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> next question, number five. Um, no, so there was, it was like five five years ago or something. I don't know how this came about, but I made a conscious decision to, to cut the trash talking voice of shame in my life. Because I realized growing up at some point, I was no longer just hearing the voices from other people and fighting those, I started telling them to myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So exactly. I was, yeah. it was like at that point I was fighting my own thoughts and other people yeah, dude. thoughts. And it was just a lose, lose situation. Totally. Um, and I, I'm not sure, maybe it was just God in his kindness, but I was able to quit that pretty quickly. Um, and that was, as I had, you know, was, early on in my recovery journey and had group support and whatnot. Maybe I was just so stoked about what God was doing that uh, I, he just gave me this ability to, to stop that. But what I've realized over the years was, although I was able to cut that, um, consciously cut those negative words and phrases I was telling myself whenever they would come up, I realized uh, now so much and over the past couple of years, that trash talking voice of shame has been coming up through emotions, mm. through anger, through sadness, through anxiety, through depression. Why? Because the, I, I realized how often I would start to get sad. And as I looked at the scenarios that I started to feel sad, it was, it was when I had an overwhelming task or I had a speaking engagement and the sadness coming up was saying, you're not good enough. You're going to, you're going to fail. Yeah. And it was shame coming up through emotions, which was so powerful for me to realize because mm. I, I thought I was doing a pretty good job, you know, cutting the trash talking voice, but oh my gosh, these emotions coming up all the, all the time. Yeah. And, and I think something to consider is why do we have negative self-talk? Um, and I really think it's about self-protection. Mm -hmm. It's about being safe and the ways we learned how to survive growing up. Because if I, if I crap on myself before somebody else does, right. then they can't hurt me. If right. I beat them to the punch yes. of shaming myself, yes. then then I'm already protected. Like you can't reject me if I reject myself yep. first. So mm -hmm. we got to exactly start considering right. why does this happen uh, in my life mm -hmm. um, to understand its purpose. Uh, because once we understand the why and and the purpose, then we can start figuring out how to find healing. And then another thing is that 
we all have this inner critic. I've been studying this recently, the inner critic in our life. And it's the voice of shame that comes through words, through emotions, et cetera. Ultimately, it tells you that you will not be loved unless you're perfect, that you have to fix yourself to be perfect so that you will be able to be loved. And I'm learning that in my life, that comes up not so much through negative thoughts now, but bettering thoughts. And you're kind of hitting on this a, a couple minutes ago, Trevor, but these bettering thoughts, um, for example, recently I went to a, a two day trauma workshop and I've been realizing, okay, I still get stage fright mm-hmm. and that sucks because I'm a, I'm a speaker and that's part of my job. I still get anxious about many different things. I went to this two day trauma workshop and, um, just learning more about trauma and then how trauma stored in the body and whatnot. And at the end of the workshop, I was like, okay, here's my plan of how I'm going to move forward and get rid of this trauma. I'm going to do this, this, this. Mm -hmm. And my friends who were leading it pointed out to me, that's the inner critic. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. It's these bettering thoughts that are saying, once I get there, once I get more healthy, more healed um, over this, then I will be okay with who I am yep. and be able to love myself and yep. be loved by other people. And that was profound for me yeah. because I'm realizing I'm not okay. Even though I've been you know, free from porn for six years, sober, whatever, mm-hmm. I'm still not okay with who I am, where I'm at. And I still need to, because shame is still at play in, in my life. I'm still growing and accepting and loving who God created yeah. me to be and see myself the way he sees me. Mm-hmm. And even this week, as I've prepped for this, I've been thinking about this question, right? If God, if the God of the universe is okay with where I am at, why am I not? If he's all sovereign in control and he, yes. he could have me further or yeah, further than I am now. And he's okay with it. Mm-hmm. Why am I not? And then the second yeah. one is, if Jesus is not even trying to make me perfect in this life on this side of heaven, why the heck am I? You know, if we will not be fully sanctified and and holy and righteous and free of sin until the new heavens and, and new earth, um, and God could make us perfect in this life, but he's not. Um, he's trying to grow us and mature us and whatnot, but he's not trying to make us perfect here and now. Yeah why, why am I trying to do that? Mm -hmm. So it's what I'm trying to grow in now is, um, being okay with where I'm at and loving uh, and loving myself the way God loves me, which of course I'm never going to be able to do, but see myself the way God sees me and just, and just being okay and being content. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what you're talking about is so powerful in terms of Many of us think our shame comes because of the bad behavior in our lives, particularly if we're addicted to porn or having kind of sexual struggles and unwanted behavior. And we think if I were able to deal with this, the shame would go with it. And then we can be, you know, like you said, six years free from pornography. And we're like, well, wait a minute, I'm still dealing with shame. So the shame, (laughs) this shame isn't just about my bad behavior, that the shame goes Mm -hmm. deeper than that into these these core beliefs, the way I see myself, the way I've learned to see myself, mm-hmm. and and entering into this process of seeing myself the way God does and of accepting that truth, just like you're talking about, that if if God sees me as whole and holy through Christ, who am I to think less of myself than God mm-hmm. does? Like there's there's actually an arrogance to that that I put myself down in ways that God doesn't. And and the more we can realize that, the more we can embrace these truths and walk in them, it does lead to a, a different place of being from which then behavior comes. Even though we're still imperfect, mm-hmm. at least it's coming out of a place that we're not trying to earn that, that perfection or beat shame because we behave better. So good. Uh, I just keep thinking, I don't know, for any sports fans out there, of Gary Payton, uh, who was one of the greatest uh, defensive basketball players of all time, Hall of Famer, great point guard, played for the Seattle Supersonics, RIP. Um, But uh, for any fans out there that have no idea what I'm talking about, the Sonics don't exist anymore. They're the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Getting way off topic. but um, I'm still waiting for the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, (laughs) Gary was known... Um, historically is one of the greatest trash talkers uh, in the NBA. And the um, 
the thing, and I've played sports uh, my entire life. And so trash talking is definitely a part of that culture. And really what it is, it's trying to get into your head to throw off your game. Um, and so I just am thinking about what if we did, what if we did cut that trash talking voice, um, we could play the game that we're supposed to play uh, and play the role we're supposed to play with the gifts and talents that we have to offer to the team. So uh, yeah, so I'm just going to cut the Gary Payton shame trash talking voice out of my life. So yeah, that's super good. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break actually in this conversation, this great conversation, and we're going to let you know about a new resource that we have. We know that this world is a scary place for a parent. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay. So we both know it. And of all the scary topics to talk about with our kids, sex seems to always be at the top of that list. So we're super excited for our newest book by Rodney and Tracy Wright. And it's simply just called How to Talk with Your Kids About Sex. Yeah. And interesting in the title, how important that little word with Mm, is. Yeah. That it's not about talking to them. And having that one time birds and the bees talk, but really creating a a new conversation, a new culture in our home where we're able to talk about sex and sexuality and be a part of helping our kids form in their thinking and not just think we can fix it all in one talk. So I'm super excited about the book. You know, in my role as director at Pure Desire, I was evaluating whether or not we were going to print it. And so I'm reading the manuscript and I knew the book was good when I continued to find that I wasn't reading it as the director of Pure Desire. I was just reading it as a dad. Right. And I was taking notes and thinking about how to build into my kids. And when I was done reading, I thought, I am so glad to have this book as a dad. And I also thought, I really wish my parents had had this book. Uh, So if I could say anything to our listeners, it's the kind of book you want to have and that will really form your thoughts around how do you parent your kids and help them in this area. Yeah. So if you want to pre-order the book and start the new conversation in your household, go to puredesire.org slash kids. All right, Ben, this has been super good so far. Uh, I mean, I have read this blog and really appreciate it, but it's cool to just flesh these things out for sure. Uh, Let's round out the fifth and final step to overcoming shame. You talk about meditating on the truth. I think that meditation truly today is a lost art. Um, so can you talk us through a little bit, what does that mean to actually and practically meditate on the truth? Yeah. So I'm, I'm convinced that the greatest spiritual warfare, whatever you want to call it battles that we're up against is one of truth over lies. Hmm. You know, we saw that in Genesis, uh, three with the fall, it's like believing lies. Um, we saw that with, with Jesus when he was tempted, um, in uh, the desert by Satan. It's all about identity and, and lies. And Satan's called the father of lies. So if, if we see so much about lies in scripture and how important the truth is, uh, I'm convinced that so much of our, our hurt, so much of the battles we're fighting, so much of recovery and healing and being whole is about what's going on in our minds with truth over lies. Um, so this this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, like being intentional with what you are telling yourself and what you're meditating on and um, what you're dwelling on and, and what's coming in and how you're setting up your, your mental framework for the day. Um, it was probably several years ago when uh, so I was I was going through the outpatient process with Dr. Ted and hearing the way he described prophetic promises and um, developing, like nailing them down and writing them out. And I started um, thinking about them differently or defining them or going about them in a different way, same end result, but um, doing it in a different way. And actually in living free, you know, the, the curriculum I wrote with y'all for college guys, we explain prophetic promises this way um and i would assume it's it's different from some of the how it's explained in some of the other pure desire resources but the way i've gone about it is identify the top three lies or or a top lie you believe about yourself from either just life or your trauma or or whatever and a lot of times that's the shame the shame voice i'm worthless i'm not good enough um Whatever. And then identify a verse of scripture. That's step number two. Identify a verse of scripture that um, tells you the truth that combats that. And one of my favorite ones, First John 3, 1, uh, is about being a loved child of God. 
So I'm not who my shame tells me I am. I am what God says I am. I'm a child of God. And then the third step is identifying the uh, a time you've experienced that in your life where God showed you that that verse was true. So it gets at the same uh, idea of the traditional way um, we've gone about talking about prophetic promises, but just a maybe a more systematized way way to do it. Uh, and for me, doing that, I landed on yeah, First John three one. But this this experience I had of um, going to this in, in college when I was running away from God, didn't really want anything to do with him. So angry. Friends kept inviting me to this campus ministry worship night, and um, I was building relationships with them. They were inviting me to hang out, and they just really cared about me and loved me for who I was. And eventually. Uh, I decided to go and to that worship night and I sat in the back and just wept and felt so loved and accepted and experienced, I would say, first John 3, 1. So now what I do when the lies come up or the sadness comes up, um, the inner critic comes up, I'll go to that, that verse in my mind, but then also visualize the experience of being back at that, Mm. um, that worship night. What did it look like? What did it smell like? What was I feeling in my body? And I'll keep going over that, that truth that I'm a loved child of God. And what happens in that moment is, um, it's like, there's a shift in me holistically in my mind, in my body to where I start to believe that I'm, I'm not worthless or I don't, or that I'm not going to fail, but I believe this is what's true of me. Yeah. Um, and my emotions change, my heart rate calms down. Uh, it's just so powerful how that, that shift can, can happen. Um, another thing is, is meditating on truth when the inner critic comes up, when the bettering thoughts come up, just a quick way of saying, of talking to yourself, like, yep. no, 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 I don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, to be loved. I am loved. This is who I am. Just fighting that, that voice in your head with mm-hmm. what is true. Um, and you know, so much of, of what we've been talking about today in this podcast is, is knowledge of, okay, here's what's true of you. And, you know, we can try and build our theology of shame or self image all day long, but we actually grow and overcome shame by experiencing yes. what's true of us yep. in our relationship with God, if that's if that's meditation or if that's going to prophetic promises, those experiences, those encounters are helping you uh, grow in who you see yourself to be. Or if you're in group, um, a pure desire group or, or counseling or making phone calls, those experiences of yep. being accepted and loved, that is where... Um, all of this knowledge starts getting played out and actually leads to to growth and and maturity and and life change. I think one thing that is important to identify, and correct me if you guys um, feel differently, but I think that the personal, the prophetic promises, those experiences are always something that happen in community when it happens with other people. Uh, Cause that for me, that has, that's been true that my experiences when God showed up, it was around community in relationship. It was never something that I just experienced God in a moment and it changed my life or now I can use it as a, as a personal promise. Not that he can't do that. Just my experience has been, it's always been around other people in an experience of community. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, not a hundred percent. Good. Great. This many, is awesome. Yeah. I think many people have experiences where they'd say God met me in a on a walk, mm-hmm. a hike, in my bedroom, yeah. in my car, and they were alone. And yeah. I, I think both are equally valid. Got it. Okay, good. I'm glad but, I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. I think yours are valid too. <laughs> yeah, I think of, I mean, they, they all happen in the context of relationships, yes. right? I think of there's, we've got a relationship with God, we've got a relationship with others, and then we've got a relationship with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So they're all relational for sure, but right. a lot of mine have to do with this encounter with Jesus you know, himself and my relationship there. Yeah. Well, and the way I think of it is really the godly use or the right use of our imagination. 
I think so many men and women have come to fear fantasy because of how it's been sexual in nature, but you think about it, God designed our brain to have the capacity to imagine or fantasize about something that's not real. And why does that have to be a negative thing? What if what we're imagining or fantasizing about in a healthy way is an experience of God speaking that truth into our lives or meditating on a verse and not just thinking about the words, but creating an emotional thought or story that 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 we meet Jesus in some, you know, encounter and and now we're we're in using imagination that is it real? Well, not I mean not really. It's not real. So in that sense it's fantasy, but it's creating a healthy response of experiencing God's truth and not just thinking about the words, but letting them become a a visual, emotional, powerful thing that stirs new thoughts, new beliefs. And and if it's something real that we encountered, that's awesome. But I think also when we're reading scripture, we may not have a memory that comes to mind for that particular verse. So just let the Holy Spirit lead you into how does God want me to hear this and see this and feel this truth today? Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. So Ben, do you have any, uh, these are the five that you wrote in your blog, but today for our listeners, do you have any bonus tips about how to overcome shame in their lives? Yes, bonus tips. I hope so. Otherwise that um, question would really be pointless. <laughs> He's just like, no, no bonus tips. That's right. it. Read the blog. Nope. Get out of here. That's, what, that's yeah, all that's I got. Five yeah. Points. I um, yeah, I've got a lot. Um, a phrase I've been kicking around in my mind is, we is this idea of separating the who from the do Hmm. like separating our behavior from our identity. Um, and I've been really diving into shame and self image and whatnot this, this past year and studying what scripture has to say about it. Um, and I've been thinking about this thought that once we become Christian, our identity is set. We, we no longer transform and we no longer change. We, we use that language in the church though, or just, you know, all the time, like I'm changing, I'm transforming, but I'm convinced what we don't, um, although we will grow and mature, but there's a big difference there. Um, we don't live from this. We don't live for a transformed identity. We live from a transformed identity, just like the, you know, if you see a pine tree, right, whether it's a seed in the ground or fully grown or halfway grown, the essence isn't different. Mm. Uh, it looks like it's transformed or changed, but it's only grown or matured. So the same is true of us. Yeah. So good. That's um, great. My identity is, is the same. It's I'm loved. I'm mm. cherished. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And all of this hustle culture, even yes. much of our, our Christian culture is about trying to better ourselves. It's the inner critic trying to better ourselves thinking we will be more lovable um, if we are this or if we're that or if we do that. But that's just its so fascinating. That's, that's an ancient idea. That's man-made religion, mm-hmm. teaching that you have to do, essentially, you have to do these things to be loved by God yeah. uh, or others. But um, I think it's crucial for us to get because we use this, you know, even in our, our, our language, the concepts we use as, as Christians, we, we think that here's a common one. We talk so often about becoming more like Jesus, being transformed into the image of Christ, um, you know, by studying the Bible, by serving in church, by praying, a.k.a. doing, doing, doing. Yeah. Like we pray this all the time. God, would you change us to be more like Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. Our spiritual activity will never transform our spiritual identity. It's already done. Our identity Boom. is set. We're maturing, we're growing, but we're not transforming. We're not, we're not changing. And of course, it's our hope. Of course, we strive for holiness. We strive to grow. We strive for our behavior to catch up and our hearts to catch up with what's already true. Um, but so much of this set stuff is done and set by Christ. So it, it frees us up to live, to just come and be, to mm-hmm. live and for your behavior to line up with who um, God's already made you to be. Christianity is simply about being, you know, in this chaotic culture of um, hustle and of doing and of trying to, in the inner critic and trying to better yourself. It's yeah. simply about being God's son or his daughter. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the invitation to the Christian, to the non-Christian, to become who you already are, to become who you already are, um, who the, the person God intended for you to be, um, to be restored to a relationship with him as his son, as his daughter. And I got a couple more things. This is like bonus tip six, seven, eight, nine. Because um, <laughs> I, I think this is so important. Like this is, I'm convinced that shame, the battle of shame is one of the primary battles we're up against in life. This one of truth over lies. Um, God didn't mess up. If you're listening to this today, God didn't mess up when he created you. Um, you may be living with this shame voice thinking you're not good enough, thinking you're not lovable, thinking you can't love someone else as a result of what you've done, what's been done to you. And maybe your view has been influenced by uh, the past, but um, the person who has the most important opinion of you, Jesus, God has the best opinion of you. Um, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're cherished. Um, you, you have a purpose in this life. And the best way I, I know how to sum all of this up is a couple of years ago, I started thinking about how we so often identify with the old man, the flesh, our fallen nature, rather than the new man, um, who we are as saints. Um, we're, we're no longer sinners. We're saints. Mm. We're saints who sin, but this is our identity. We're, we're saints. And what an amazing earthly representation there is, one of uh, adoption. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, I had friends who adopted um, a kid from overseas. And I started thinking about uh, the relationship there. Um, these parents weren't going to their kid and saying, aren't you so glad that we took you out of the orphanage? Aren't you so glad? Remember where you came from. Remember yeah. you used to be so over good. there and your parents left you but yes. or, or dropped you off there. And we did this and now you're, they're not comparing. They're just saying your name has changed. Yep. You're one of us. You have a new last name. It's you have even um, by law, it's a, a, cert a certificate of a yes. new identity. Um, He's part of the family, fully part of the family. He's living as one of them because he is. And there's not just this comparison. They don't keep going back to the orphanage, so to speak, um, and encouraging him to think about that. He, he's in this new family. So awesome. why do we keep going back yeah. to the orphanage yep. in our minds? You're preaching, man. Can I encourage us just to, to stop going back to the orphanage, like in our in our sermons, in our messages in our minds in our relationships we're no longer orphans why are we dwelling on that so much mm -hmm. how about we live into the truth of who we are and how much we're loved and what our identity actually is and just come and be just come and be that'll preach that yep yeah, we're just gonna let that sit for a second <laughs> um all right, Ben. So, uh, real quick, man, you, uh, you have earned this. I'm just kidding. You haven't, you're crushing it. Uh, we really appreciate this conversation, um, and appreciate your voice. I mean, I think that that is really important, uh, for us to hear. Uh, it's a great, great analogy, great imagery on that. So you're a part of a new initiative with Josh McDowell, uh, and it's called uprising. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uprising so uh just want to give you an opportunity to talk to people about it sure is. how can they see uh what you guys are up to yeah um so uprising it's this national uh initiative <clears throat> that we're launching um of youth overcoming hurts and struggles and starting to thrive in life a lot of it has to do with reaching youth and also their parents and youth leaders um equipping them through biblical truth brain science to uh, return, to, to overcome different struggles like anxiety, depression, shame, porn use, body image issues, and to return to the life um, they're created to live. So you can check us out. Um, we haven't launched yet, uh, but we're doing a lot of uh, videos and message development, got books and resources coming out, talks, traveling around, giving um, trainings to youth leaders and also speaking to youth groups. 
and um, doing a lot of exciting stuff. But you can check us out at josh.org slash uprising and you can stay tuned. Um, we'd love you to be part of this this growing movement because um, the next generation is experiencing so much, but uh, so much hurt, so much brokenness, but um, there's so much hope. Uh, I'm so excited about what, as just as I've gotten to, to know young people, um, they really want to change the world mm -hmm. and they're more connected than ever before. And um, it's an exciting generation uh, to, to invest in. We are super excited that you're doing that. And we're uh, honestly just anticipating amazing things. I know amazing things are already happening, just anticipating even more. So uh, look, man, we appreciate you, your ministry. You're just a solid dude with a great mustache. Uh, and we <laughs> love having you on the podcast. And dude, we'll have you back. Uh, we'd love to have you back if you're up for it. Yeah, I'd love to be back. Yeah, shout out to the um, the video podcast. Everybody listening, if you haven't seen the video, um, check it out for uh, no other reason than to see my bleached hair and my, right. my mustache right. that has been making them laugh the entire time. You are transforming. I, I know is. you said we don't transform, yes. but I think you are transforming. Yeah, absolutely. So Ben, if people want to keep up with you, how do they follow you? Uh, how do they keep up with your with what you're doing? Um, Instagram, uh, Ben V as in Virginia, where I'm originally from. Ben V Bennett or um, Facebook, same, same handle. Got a page on there. I'd love to connect with you. Um, yeah. All the stuff I'm regularly posting on there, trying to get yeah. out content to help serve people. So, so we suggest that you do keep up with what Ben is doing and check out josh.org slash uprising. And look, we hope that you or anyone, you know, understands that pure desire, this podcast is here to help you create a roadmap for healing. If you or someone you know is looking for help, go to puredesire.org and start your healing journey. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast or have friends who haven't, do it. Keep up with the conversation, write a review, share it on social, comment, let us know what you think. Thanks for listening and never stop being healthy. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Every woman that takes a breath, this is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.